New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. My son Mark was a very easy baby. My husband Julian, who was my boyfriend at the time, were only twenty when we found out I was pregnant. He used a condom, and I was on the pill. But despite this, the astronomical odds of me getting pregnant happened. We were obviously in a deal of shock, but decided to go forward with the pregnancy anyway. After all, with the chance of pregnancy being so low, this baby is a miracle, isn't he? Fast forward eight months, and I'm in the delivery room. A bit earlier than most babies, but the doctor assured me that a month early wasn't anything to get in a fuss about. After 37 hours of pain and labor, my son popped out. He was a beautiful 6-pound, 8-ounce bundle. But the strange thing was, he didn't cry. The doctors and nurses were concerned at first, but after checking his airway and seeing that everything was fine, they just wrote it off as one of those rare instances of a quiet baby. Little did I know that he'd be a quiet baby his whole life. Mark hardly ever cried. In fact, he didn't even cry to tell me he was hungry. From birth until he was old enough to talk, I had to set up a timer on my phone to let me know when it was feeding time again. And as for diaper changes, well, we didn't have to worry about those for too long. As soon as Mark had enough physical strength to start walking, around 10 months old, he'd march himself into the potty. It sounds far-fetched, I know, but honest to God, it happened. And we supposed it made sense. Mark always had an aversion to using diapers. I can still remember the day we came back from the hospital and my husband was trying to change Mark's diaper. Uh, babe, my husband called warily. Hmm? I hummed to him, preoccupied with setting up the baby's clothes. He hasn't gone, Julian stated confusedly. I turned to his direction. What? Surely he didn't mean what I thought. What do you mean he hasn't gone? He's dry. I was a bit worried about this, so I called up the doctor who delivered Mark and asked for his help. He told me that perhaps the baby was just dehydrated and that I should feed him more often until he could set up a time to see Mark tomorrow. I felt awful hanging up the phone without proper assurance that Mark would be fine, but I supposed the doctor was right and it was about time to feed the baby anyway. I took the doctor's advice and gave him a bottle right then and there. He fussed a bit, not wanting to take the bottle's nipple, but eventually started suckling after realizing that I wasn't going to let up. Mark fell asleep while drinking, and when he woke up, his diaper, much to his chagrin, was wet, and it was weird. He almost looked annoyed that we had to change him too. We'd soon picked up on the pattern that Mark would hold in his urine for as long as he could manage, and then wet his diaper while napping. It was odd, but the doctor said he was physically fine otherwise, so we just accepted it. And life went on for me, my husband, and our quiet baby boy. 
It was at Mark's first birthday when we noticed his affliction to fire. We had put one small candle on his cupcake, and after lighting it, Mark covered his eyes. He didn't cry. No, Mark never cried. But instead he covered his eyes and started shaking his head, repeating no, over and over. Julie and I exchanged a look of concern before blowing out Mark's candle and cooing to him. It's all right, baby. It's gone, I assured. Mark slowly lifted his hands from his eyes and looked up to us. His eyes were glossy, like there may have been tears present, but none fell. We scooped him up and hugged him. No more candles, okay? He squeezed me back, and I took it as an okay. And everything else about that day went fine. He happily opened his gifts, a small boy rabbit, and a Lego set, smiling and thanking us in his tiny, lisp-cased voice. His speech was remarkably well, for his age. Well, everything about Mark was remarkable, really. All of our friends were jealous when they started having babies. Oh, my Molly keeps me up all night with the crying, my friend Liz said, and she seemed irritated when I told her I couldn't relate. Really? Mark sleeps through the night, hardly ever cries. Which was true. He never had an issue sleeping, but he did toss and turn like he had been having some type of wild dreams. Yeah, needless to say, we lost a few friends down the line. You'd never think it, but mamas are the most cold-hearted bitches when it comes to anyone but their own kids. But we got new friends as Mark got older. Around age two, when he was big enough to run around with other kids, we'd take him to the playground. There we met Stacy and her daughter Kayla. They were the same age, but Mark seemed disinterested in her pleas to play. Kayla tugged his shirt, begging him to build a sandcastle with her, but he just stared at me with a bored expression. I called him over and tried to reason with him. Just go and play with her, even if you find it boring, okay? He sighed and went off to build a castle. By now I pretty much knew what Mark was. He was an old soul, a kid who thought he was grown up and very much lacked interest in things kids his age would normally like. After a few months of getting to know Stacy, she invited me, Julian, and Mark to eat at a restaurant her and her husband owned. We happily agreed and got dressed in our best outfits. Mark even had an adorable little bow tie which he actually said he liked. But what we didn't know was that the restaurant was one of the kinds where they cook the food in front of you. By now, we had known to avoid fire at all costs, no longer using candles at birthdays or taking advantage of the fire pit we had been given as a housewarming gift. We sat at the table. Mark places himself in Julian's lap. Stacy and her husband Kev sat in a row beside us. Eventually, a man came out, took our orders, and began to cook. We watched in awe as he tossed an egg into the air and caught it on the blade of his knife. Even Mark perked up and gave an amazed wow. Everything was going smoothly until the damn chef got out a bottle of oil and doused it on the stovetop. It happened in slow motion. The oil reacted with whatever it was on the stove and created a huge flame. We watched as the flame shot up in the air and Mark jumped back into Julian's chest giving an ear-piercing shriek. He grabbed onto Julian for dear life. He even soiled himself in surprise and fear. Then, for the first time in his life, Mark began to cry. Not just any cry. No, Mark let out the most pained, 
most heart-wrenching cry I had ever heard. We were in shock for a moment. God, I'm so sorry, the chef apologized. No, you're fine, I assured. We should get him home, I said to Stacy and Kev. They apologized profusely for upsetting Mark, but Julian and I assured them it wasn't their fault. We got Mark in the car and covered his soiled trousers with a blanket until we got home. He sat in the car seat with his thumb in his mouth and tears lacing his cheeks. Both of those things he'd never done. Up until tonight, I thought Mark would rather eat a bug than cry or suck his thumb. When we got home, I drew Mark a bath. He was still giving little sniffs and whimpers while he bathed. I felt awful, wanting nothing more than to help my little baby boy feel better. Julian and I laid with Mark in our bed after the bath, rubbing his back. I exchanged a look with Julian, and he knew what to do next. In the car, we had had a quiet conversation about talking to Mark about his fear of the fire. Julian was questionable at first. He's a baby, he said. How is he going to know why he's afraid of such a silly little thing? I scoffed. Do you really think Mark, of all kids, isn't going to know something? And Julian quieted at the question. Mark knew seemingly everything. He answered questions that even most adults would have to Google. Despite being so young, he was wise way beyond his years. Mark, buddy? I asked as Julian continued to rub his back. He didn't make a sound or even move, but I continued anyway. Why does the fire scare you so bad? Mark stopped breathing. His whole little body stiffened, and he looked to me with fear in his eyes. Don't make me tell you, he said in a small voice. Hey, Julian comforted. It's okay. We won't be angry or anything. Mark looked to him and back to me. Really? he asked, tears now falling down his face. Really? I confirmed. There's nothing you can say that can ever make mommy or daddy angry, okay? Mark looked assured, but still tense. He took a breath, probably for confidence, and shakily told us his story. I was here before. He sounded like he was trying to find the right way to say that sentence, but that's the best he could do. What do you mean? I asked. He sighed in frustration. It's hard. Calm down, Julian said softly. It's okay. Take your time. Mark sat quietly for a few moments. You could see the gears in his mind turning, trying to find the words to explain what he was thinking. Finally, he spoke. I was here before, um, lived before, a long time ago. I think my soul left my body. I mean, what, what do you say to that? When I was a kid, older than now, my mommy burned me. She threw gasoline on me and lit a match. It hurt, mommy. It hurt so bad. My skin boiled and fell on the floor and, and... Mark's words broke off into deep, terrified sobs. It's okay, baby. It's okay. I hugged him tightly. He kept going. I burned for hours, and back then Mommy laughed. She laughed while I screamed. I stayed there screaming until... until I stopped. He became less frantic now, and continued to hold me tightly. 
Julian and I exchanged wild expressions. We were dumbfounded by what Mark had just described. I mean, damn, what kind of two-year-old thinks of that? Surely it must have been true. We've never let him watch any kind of movie or show with any type of graphic, disturbing violence such as that. We all sat in stunned silence until Mark passed out in my arms. All the trauma from reliving his memory must have tired him. Julian and I tried to rationalize what we'd just been told, but we just couldn't. And even now, ten years after the fact, we still don't know if Mark's story was just that, or if it was real. He's twelve now, and doesn't remember what he'd once told us, but even after all these years, he's still afraid of fire. This happened a while ago. I'm not entirely sure why I'm choosing to talk about it now, though. Well, I kinda do. I'll explain later. I have a bad habit of dozing off on the train. I don't blame it entirely on myself. My place of employment necessitates that I work long, hard and obscure hours. More often than not, I find myself taking the very last train home at around 2 a.m. My stop is at the end of the line, so my whole trip takes me around 35 minutes, and of course I'm tired as hell by the end of it. Also, sometimes I get drunk. It happens. It's not like I want to fall asleep. I could get pickpocketed, or worse. It is what it is. Nobody's perfect. But it usually isn't a problem. Like I said, my stop's at the end of the line, so... The driver would always wake me up when he came by to do his inspection of the cars. This has become such a routine that I know each and every one of the nighttime drivers by face. There's only three, though. Not much of a feat. One of them is a quiet, gruff-looking gentleman in his mid-fifties. One was even older, a South Asian man appearing to be in his sixties at least. The last guy was younger, possibly mid-twenties. This guy had always had extremely messy hair. This roster of drivers had remained the same for the past three to four years. All super nice guys, mind you. I had no reason to complain. I knew these people and I was comfortable with them. I expected to see them. So you could imagine my shock when I woke up to see an unfamiliar face staring down at me one night. I'd been out drinking and was about two or three beers away from throwing up my insides. Safe to say, I was not in the most alert state. It was still a jarring sight nonetheless. This guy must have stared at me for ten seconds straight without saying a word. His appearance certainly didn't help either. I'm not one to judge looks, but this dude was beyond freaky. Have you ever seen Lost Highway? Remember that phone call scene with the mystery man? Well, that's roughly what he resembled. A bit younger, though. His face was nearly ghost pale and his eyes were wide and beady. His smile was unsettling at best and insanity inducing at worst. On top of that, there was a hole in his neck. A damn hole. I could see straight through it. You've reached the end of the line, he said. His voice was normal enough, especially given his throat, but his tone sounded like the one a child would make when he knew about something that his friends didn't. Ah, uh, shoot. Yeah, sorry. Guess I dosed off again. 
It took all the strength I had not to focus on his neck hole, especially if the other option I had was to look into his eyes. He stopped leering at me and stood straight. He must have been about six foot six, or two meters tall. Also, strangely muscular for his height. An intimidating presence, to say the least. He stood still for a moment, trapping me in place. I was expecting him to say something, after all. But he didn't. Instead, he just took off. After taking a second to adjust to the weirdness, I got off and began walking to the doors. I'd never been more ready to go home at that point. But the door didn't open. I pressed the button, but nothing happened. What the hell? I muttered, concern starting to rise in my chest. It hadn't even been 15 seconds since the driver got off. It didn't take long for me to start shoulder-checking the door, and then I started yelling. There were only two things on my mind at that point. This door better open the hell up, and this train better not start moving. It was my lucky day. None of those things happened. Hello? Driver! I yelled as the train departed. What the hell? I'm still here! Unfortunately, I was in one of the middle cars, so he couldn't hear me. One of my co-workers, Alan, had been on the train with me before I passed out. I also knew for a fact that he also got off at the end of the line, but I was alone. He was nowhere to be seen. I continued slamming on the doors and pressing the emergency stop button, but one thing was quickly becoming certain. This thing wasn't stopping. I sat down, resigned to my sudden fate. What the hell's going on? I thought to myself. The situation was truly bizarre. The driver would have had to sprint to the cab, prevent the doors from opening, and then drive off. This was all with the knowledge that some guy might still be on the train. What the hell was his problem? Truth be told, I had no idea where trains went after hours. I just hoped that it wouldn't be too far. After all, my city wasn't huge, and the tracks had to end at some point. I looked out the windows, but it was mostly dark. A few buildings still had lights on, but not many. Not surprising in the dead of night. I tried calling Alan, but he wouldn't pick up. I cursed again. Fifteen minutes passed and I was starting to lose it. What the hell is this crap? I thought. We were approaching the edge of the city. I was 99% certain that the tracks did not extend this far. It felt like I was having a fever dream. My hands were shaking and I was on the brink of hyperventilating. To combat that, I closed my eyes and started taking deep breaths. It's fine. It's alright, I thought. The driver's just a damn idiot. Maybe I'll be compensated for this crap show. Yeah. Free transit for a year. That's the least they could offer me. After calming myself down, I opened my eyes back up. It was still dark. I nearly screamed in frustration. I felt around me, confirming that I was definitely still on the train. But why were the lights off? It sounded like we were going through a tunnel, but even tunnels had lights. None of them were pitch black all the way through. Something else was bothering me as well. The vague sensation of a presence sitting right across from me. I sat utterly still for what felt like five minutes. Eventually, the train lights came back on. It was still empty. 
Even my mind was starting to play tricks on me. I looked out the windows, but it was still black. I took my phone out and dialed 911. It rang a few times before somebody picked up. Hello? I said. Hello? Nothing. Just breathing on the other end. Can you say something? I screamed into the phone. Somebody finally responded, but it was in a language I couldn't recognize. Not just one I didn't understand. I know what French sounds like even though I can't speak it. I'd never heard this dialect before in my entire life. I could only describe it as serpent-like. The mere sound of it made my skin feel like something was slithering beneath it. I hung up and buried my face into my hands. This is not happening, I muttered to myself. I repeated this, hoping that it would cause me to wake up. It didn't really feel like a dream. Then again, we don't really know what dreams feel like, do we? Soon enough, the train came to a stop. I was glad, of course. But at the same time, I wasn't exactly excited to find out where the hell I was. I looked out the window. I think my heart nearly stopped. I didn't know what the hell I was supposed to be looking at. It almost resembled a desert, but a post-apocalyptic one. Everything was gray, including the sky. There were gigantic trees scattered throughout, along the massive vortex-like pits. Large, hunched figures were wearing baggy, black robes, also dragged themselves across the sand. I couldn't tell from so far, but it almost looked like they had beaks coming out of their faces. We've arrived. I jumped at the sudden outburst. I turned around, seeing the driver standing at the door, smiling at me. Where the hell am I? He angled his head and grinned even wider. You'll want to get off before they get on, he said. The next station is not for you. You have one hour before your returning train arrives. Have fun exploring. He started to leave, but turned back before he did. Also, don't go out into the desert. This time the door stayed open after he left. The place we'd arrived at looked more or less like a regular station, if not a bit outdated. It was also gray, just like the desert outside. There were also people sitting on benches just outside the train. Well, I suppose they were people. They looked just like the driver. Pale, holes in throats, oddly tall and well-built. One of them suddenly got up and began approaching the train. I remembered what the driver had told me, and immediately got off. From there, I ran the length of the train, finally spotting him in the driver's cab. I pounded on his window, managing to catch his attention. Way, what the hell is going on? I asked him through the glass. I wasn't sure if he didn't hear me, or if he was just being a huge asshole, but he just grinned at me and waved. Seconds later, he started driving, leaving me in that godforsaken place. At the very least, the station was now empty. I walked over and sat on one of the benches. I took my phone out and tried checking the time. I say tried because everything on my screen was now in gibberish. Presumably the language that I'd heard earlier. One hour. I just had to wait for one hour, and then I'd be back. Or I'd wake up. Hopefully the latter. But before it even felt like five minutes, something wandered onto the platform. I didn't look over at it. However, I was sure as hell this thing was looking at me. 
From the corner of my eye, it appeared like one of those hunched figures that had been out in the desert. I saw it shift in place, before it started squawking like some kind of screwed-up demon bird. I left almost immediately as it did. So much for my plan of sitting still. I saw a set of stairs going up and headed towards it. Once up, I found myself in what looked like a regular terminal. But just like the platform, it was a bit off. The architecture was hard to identify. Definitely unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It was almost retro and futuristic at the same time, with large banners and monitors displaying strange symbols set up just about everywhere. It's like they hired a doomsday cult to design the place. The place was populated by more of those neckhole people. Thankfully, they didn't seem to acknowledge me. I decided to walk around for a while, hoping that the hunched thing would be gone once I headed back down. Maybe a minute later, everybody stopped and directed death stares at me. Their expressions were so full of malice that I could feel my skin begin to crawl. I noticed that some of their eyes weren't directed at me, but at the space behind me. I slowly turned my head, seeing that the hunched creature had followed me up. I got a good look at it this time. I will probably never forget the sight of it. I was right. It had a beak. A large one. Its face nearly resembled some kind of alien-bird-human hybrid. I stood still and began silently praying, not sure for what exactly. Almost in unison, the people opened their mouths to an unnervingly wide degree and began screaming. If this was a nightmare, this would have been the moment I woke up. But I didn't. The people began boxing me in, still screaming like damn banshees. I would take a step forward, and the crowd would move with me. The creature was also hot on my tail the entire time. Eventually, I just started running. I tried breaking through the crowd a few times, but I would just get pushed in another direction. After some time of this, I was pinballed out of the terminal entirely. These bastards had directed me into the desert, along with the hunched creature. Once I was out, they stopped screaming and shut the terminal door behind them. The creature began squawking again before lurching at me. I could do nothing but run as it chased me. Soon enough, every single creature in the vicinity was also on my ass. It was like a nightmarish chain reaction. There were numerous times where I nearly ran into one of those swirling pits. There was definitely something dwelling inside them. I could hear it. The sickening, slithering sounds of something large within. There was no end in sight. It was obvious that I couldn't run forever. The creatures started getting closer and I could see them up close. Their beaks were wide open, with long, spiky tongues hanging out of them. The sight of it pushed me to continue running. But I wasn't superhuman. My lungs gave out before my legs did. But right before that, I could see a figure walking towards me. None of those hunched things. It was somebody familiar, but I passed out before I could find out. When I woke up, I was back on a train. I reeked of sweat and my joints ached, but I was nevertheless happy to be alive. But what the hell happened, I thought. I told you not to go into the desert. I looked over, seeing the driver once again standing by the door. 
I didn't really have a choice. What the hell's wrong with this place? I said. The driver raised an eyebrow at me. I thought you would have come better prepared. That's usually the case. Better prepared? I asked, taken aback by the statement. What the hell are you talking about? I never planned on being here. Whatever the goddamn hell this place is. This time he was the one that looked confused. Is that so? Well, I doubt that you found this place on accident. Maybe something else is going on. Once you're back in your world, I advise you to be careful. This is a dangerous game to play. Well, I better get going. Wait, I said. Why'd you save me? It is... It is strange, he responded. I usually wouldn't bother with it, but... You were different. Not cocky like the others. It was a breath of fresh air, and I appreciated it. He walked off the train, leaving me with about a million questions. I didn't bother chasing after him. At that point, I didn't have the will or energy for it. I just sat tight. Soon enough, the train started moving. And just like that, just like they had on the way there, the lights went out again. But it wasn't a problem. Soon enough, the train arrived at the end of the line. The actual end of the line. I checked my phone. It was in English now, displaying 2.15am. I couldn't understand how such little time had passed. But then again, I didn't understand a lot of things from that night. When I went into work the following Monday, I was still in a state of relative shock. I didn't want to believe what had happened, but it certainly wasn't a damn dream. Maybe my drink got spiked at the bar or something. Talk about a delayed reaction. But deep down I knew that any kind of reasoning I could conjure up was just to cope. It was an inexplicable event. I just had to accept that and never fall asleep on the train again. I saw Alan at lunch that day. I was tempted to say something about what had happened, but opted not to. I didn't want to be that crazy guy at work, after all. Totally sorry for dipping on Saturday, man, he said to me. I had to get off at an earlier stop. My sister lives downtown and she was having some kind of emergency. Like, geez, right? He chuckled. I just nodded. So, anyways, he continued. Anything interesting happen on the train? I didn't like his tone with that question. It was almost as if he already knew the answer. And just wanted to hear me say it. Also, if I'd been asleep, then why the hell would he not have woken me up before he left? Something wasn't right. Nothing noteworthy, no. You know how boring this city is. His smile slowly faded. Oh, okay. Why do you ask? He shook his head. No reason. Just glad you made it home safe. That conversation shouldn't have been anything substantial, but given the circumstances... It made me wonder. I've been working from home for a few weeks now, so I haven't seen him since. But he sent me a text last night. Hey man, let's go out once this is all over. Go crazy. <laughs> you down? I put my phone down and thought about what the driver had told me. I doubt that you find this place on accident. I'm starting to think that I didn't. <laughs>